Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. I'm going to ask you a question that's probably going to seem like a pretty poignant question. And it's probably going to seem like a very easy question to answer, but I want you to be careful answering this question. Have you ever in your life thought God was wrong? I'll say it again. Have you ever in your life thought that God was wrong? Now I say this because the choices that we make, um, the choices that we make have everything in the world to do with what we believe as to whether God's right or wrong. So, if God is right, and we're willing to admit that, does it affect what we do? If we believe that God is wrong, and we believe that, does it affect what we do? Now, I, I'm i not going to say that people choose to remain ignorant, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word, ignorant meaning you know, as long as as long as ignorant bliss is what I wander through life in, I can't really be held accountable for anything. I mean, if somebody comes to me and says, um, "Hey, will you uh, replace the engine in my vehicle?" and I say, uh, "No, I I don't know how to do that," they can't really give me any trouble for it, right? So, why would I run out and learn how to rebuild an engine if I know that people are going to come and ask me to rebuild it? You see what I'm saying? We have all had these, whether it's admitted and it's something that we've seen and we've planned or not. Ignorance is not bliss. If we're individuals who are in our Bibles and we're studying, it is impossible for us to sit still in our faith. It's not possible. Without telling God pretty consistently that he's wrong. Now, we can read all that we want to read, but if there is no effect on our life, then what use is it? What has church traditionally been for people? Now, some people, they go to church to worship a God that they're grateful for the gift that he gave. Um, and that's pretty much it. Is that all there is to it? I mean, is coming to church really the fullest extent of gratitude that we show God? I mean, if it is, that's a pretty sad show of gratitude. You know, God, I'm going to give you an hour, hour and a half on Sunday morning. I'm so grateful. I'm going to give you a very, very small part of one day this week. And people could say, well, it's just as valuable for me to spend time in my Bible. But let's be honest, how much time do you spend in your Bible? Let's throw some comparisons out there. Do you spend more time in your Bible or more time watching TV? Spend more time in your Bible or more time listening to the radio? Do you spend more time in your Bible or more time playing on an Xbox? Spend more time in your Bible or more time finding something else, the stuff your life full of? 
And I hear people even say this. Well, I spend some time in my Bible, but I got to spend some time with my family too. Like those things are, those two things are mutually exclusive. What's wrong with spending time in your Bible with your family? I mean, how many of us honestly can't squeeze more time in the Bible out of our lives? All of us have time to squeeze. The question is, why don't we? I mean, God's been pretty clear, right? Well, I believe that part of this is because we have finite minds. We are our worst enemies. We will build brain blocks in areas of our life that make it impossible for us to go beyond a particular point in our relationship with Jesus. We talked about a little bit of stuff in the Sunday school class this morning that I'm going to mention here this morning when we get to the second verse in Romans is where we're going to be, the last part of Romans chapter 11 and then Romans chapter 12. And the question was this. I'll give you a little bit of a preview before we get to the second verse in chapter 12. Whether it's in ignorance or it's in outright objection to God's will, how much do the choices that we make or do not make affect everybody in our lives and even from this point forward? Of course, we were going through the life of Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau when this conversation came up. And the question that I asked was, how much different would the Old Testament have been if Jacob did not receive the blessing, but Esau did instead? And the fact is, nothing would be the same. It would change every single fiber of Israel in the Old Testament that we read after the life of Jacob and Esau. Every fiber. God spoke a prophecy. The prophecy was fulfilled. Even the book of Romans, I think chapter 9, chapter I think it's chapter 9, points out the sovereignty of God. And in that particular chapter, he even says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Esau was the oldest. Culturally, Esau was the heir. God rejected Esau, and he accepted Jacob. If Esau had been the heir, how much different would would Israeli history be? And how much different would it have all turned out? Because I hear people tell me this all the time. Well, if I don't do it, God will send somebody to do it. But will he send the somebody to do it exactly the same way that you did? Is it still going to touch the same people? Is it going to touch people the same way that God intended it to touch when he asked you to do it? Because if this is an excuse, then why did he ask you to do it in the first place? You get it? Because the logic don't shake for us to think if we don't do it, somebody else will. Anybody ever experienced that in your household? Piece of trash on the table. I actually tested over the years when my kids were growing up. 
I'll do it around here occasionally too. I'm full admission. I'll do it around here occasionally too. Around here, I'll show up on Monday and there will be something completely out of place. I mean, like somebody had to intentionally get something and put it somewhere that it absolutely has no business being. And I just leave it. And it's gone weeks in the past, months. It's gone long periods of time. And that thing would still be where it's not supposed to be. You know why? Because guess what most people who walk past it thought? Somebody will do it. Somebody will do it. The church cannot operate under this mentality. It can't. Our lives at home shouldn't operate under that mentality. If our lives at home operate under that mentality, I guarantee our homes are an absolute mess. If you want something done, do it yourself. Because that's the only way you really know it's going to get done, right? So many people don't look at their life in Christ and see beyond the impact on themselves. When God tells people how to conduct their lives, too many times we look at our own life and go, well, that doesn't sound like any fun. Rarely does anybody think about why God wants us to alter the way that we act or the way we say things. We don't think about the ripple effect of the individuals that it's going to hit because we're so self-centered as humanity to think only about how is what I do going to affect me. Pointed it out many times before. I don't know that I pointed it out this specifically, but every time that I ask somebody, why don't you share the gospel? What What does the answer start with? I. Hey, why don't you go to church? I. Hey, why don't you help? I. Why? Hey, can you fill in a Sunday school class? Oh, I'm uncomfortable. I'm afraid I'll make a mistake. First of all, let me just step on a soapbox for a second and let you know. If you ever feel the call in your life to be a deacon, a pastor, a teacher, any capacity in the church, I want to take this off your shoulders real quick, okay? You're going to blow it. You're going to blow it. And anybody who's not nice enough to know that you're going to blow it and be willing to provide you with a little bit of grace, given the truckload of grace that Jesus Christ has given every one of us already up to this point in life, The fault is not on the person who makes the mistake. The fault is on the person who thinks way too much of a human being fulfilling a human role. I talked last week about gifts, and we're going to talk a little bit more about gifts. But I want to start this off by us as individuals understanding that God is much more complex than we are. And us just saying that isn't enough. We have the mind of Christ. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Every person who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ is capable of looking through the eyes of Christ. They're capable of feeling through the heart of Christ. They're capable of serving through the hands of Christ. And they're capable of carrying the gospel through the feet of Christ. 
This is what we've all been called to. But before we can begin to stop living so much like a human being, a natural fallen human being, we have to begin to realize that we have the capacity to think like a supernatural human being. In Romans 11, start with verse 33. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Is God sovereign? Absolutely true. God's sovereign. And I do not appreciate people throwing this spaghetti nest out and saying that God is too complex for us to understand. Can anybody tell me how God being too complex for us to understand helps the cause? He has chosen to dumb this stuff down for the dumbest of us. The people who don't have the capacity to think a whole lot, he's chosen to give us understanding in these things. Do we know better than God? Absolutely not. Is it sometimes hard to figure out why things that happen, happen? It is. Who knows better? Him or us? And be careful how you answer that question. Because if we say he is the one who knows better, then we have no excuse for the lives that we continually lead. The alternative is no better. You see, in context, this is talking about the Jews. Now, I can have a theological conversation about what a Jew is in the New Testament. I believe wholeheartedly, if you want a little bit of hint to that, you can write down in your Bible, Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. I'll give you a little bit of a hint of what a modern-day Jew is. And it's not a Jew who's a Jew by bloodline. It's a Jew, a Jew is a Jew <clears throat> who is a person who trusts in Jesus Christ. We are Israel. I believe that wholeheartedly. Um. The fact is this, folks. You ever read a story about, about or see a story on TV about a pedophile? And I'll tell you something. It's, it's tough having a heart for people. Because when you see some of the things that people do to children, God only knows the way, the ways in my mind that I have thought up that would be punishments that would come close to paying for their crimes. Ever since I was young, there was two things, and I said this to my wife several years ago, there are two things that I honestly don't know if I could control myself for. And that's one, somebody raping my wife, are two, someone raping my children. I can honestly say from a human standpoint, I'd gladly go to jail in a heartbeat for the rest of my life. I'd accept 
the poison in my veins. I'd accept the electric chair, the human being in me. And I've stood up here and said before, there's a whole lot of people in this world who are lucky that I found Jesus. Because I guarantee you, I would have been a completely different person had I not found Jesus. And then you see these stories of these people who went to prison for doing these things. And then you find out that while they were in prison, they found Jesus. Is that fair? It better be. How can God forgive somebody for such a terrible thing? Because he's God. And he hasn't made it a secret. God can be anything he wants to be. He can put out any standard he wants to put out. Does this mean that we don't know him? Of course it don't mean we don't know him. He shared with us every one of his attributes. People say, well, Jesus could send somebody to hell if he wants to. Well, Jesus could send somebody to hell if he wants to. But here's the deal. He's told us that he's not sending anybody to hell. He's given people the capacity to go to heaven. Jesus has never sent anybody to hell. You can't blame him for that when the people had a choice to not end up where they're at. We know God because he's let us know him. As human beings, it's really hard to figure out. And although I can tell you that this is an example that pales in comparison, there's a whole lot of difference between us having a problem. There's not a whole lot of difference between us having a problem with God saving a pedophile and God saving you and me. Because in his, in, his, in his eyes, the sins that we commit, they're just as severe as the ones that we would, cause the mo- that we would call the most severe. You can sit down with someone who's not a believer and you don't have to talk to them very long at all and they will give you the Sadie look. Sadie's my dog. If you make a noise that she don't recognize or she's trying to figure out what it is that you're trying to say, and all of you probably have dogs that have done this, they will go from looking you straight in the eye to all of a sudden ears go up, head tilts. And the people who know nothing about God, they're exactly the same way. They can't figure it out. They can't figure out why you give up one of your son, one of your two weekend days off. You give it up to come to church in the morning. You take some of your hard-earned money and give it to the church? That's unfathomable. I've counseled with people whose families were giving them a hard time because they came to church three times a week. They were having family interventions to let them know that three times a week at church is a little radical. They can't figure it out. But as Christians, we're capable of figuring these things out. Because he's given us the key to understand everything there is to understand about him. The question isn't, do we have access to the information? The question is, do we choose to accept it? Do we choose to accept it? I did this myself. God said, you're going to be a preacher. I said, no, I'm not. (laughs) 
and he kept saying it. You talk about belittling somebody. I just told him I'm not. And he just kept going, you're going to be a preacher. No, I'm not. In his timing, here I am. Has God ever told you, hey, you're going to be a deacon? And you go, no, I'm not. Or, hey, you're going to be a teacher. Oh, no, I'm not. You're going to walk out in the street and tell perfect strangers about Jesus. Oh, no, I'm not. In many cases, God's ways are unfathomable to us because we choose to make them unfathomable. As much as people think that we live on blind faith and we do walk by faith, not by sight, there's very little that God's asked us to accept in blind faith. There's 66 books, 27 in the New Testament, giving us very specific information about what God's call on our life is what it's supposed to be, what life is supposed to mean, what the value of our life is. People say, I just don't know how much good I actually do in life. You're following through with the will of God in your life. You will never know the extent of the good that you're doing in life. But as long as we are following through, and truly being what God's called us to be, you can leave it in the God in the hands of God, knowing that whatever He wills to accomplish through you being faithful and obedient, He will accomplish through you being faithful and obedient. Director of Bates Creek Camp. I know of over sixteen hundred kids who come to know Jesus Christ twenty years. At Bay Street Camp. That's awesome. It gives me the feels. Goosebumps, hair standing up on the arm. So I can be satisfied with the 1,600. But the question is, how many lives have those 1,600 touched outside of that? Do you think that the apostles, when they started the church, right after Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, realized that in one denomination alone, in one country, there would be over 16 million people who trust in him? This was a work that they started. Twelve men. In 2,000 years, a very small fraction of all of the believers in the world But 2,000 years, 12 men have blown this up into over 16 million in one denomination. Anybody want to guess how many Southern Baptists there are in Missouri? 750,000 Christians who are Southern Baptists in the state of Missouri. 750,000. What if the 12 said, nah, 
Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they go, no, you ain't. I've mentioned before the individuals in your life who were the building blocks to get you where you are now. How many people can you name who were staples in your life who helped to show you who God is that got you to where you're at? And what if those people said, oh, no, you didn't? Chapter 12, start with verse 1. I urge you, therefore, and I want you to catch on to this very carefully. When he used the words, therefore, he's talking about the fact that we really have no idea the extent that God is touching individuals through us being faithful and obedient. His ways are unfathomable. His ways are higher than our ways. We don't know what God's doing with the one thing that we may do when we leave church today. You could hold the door for somebody and say, God bless you, and that could have a huge impact on somebody. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Nothing wrong with singing songs? Nothing wrong with feeling emotional in those songs. Nothing long, nothing wrong with being undignified when it comes to us realizing the capacity of the relationship and what Christ has done for us and the joy and the peace and the comfort, the encouragement, the strength that we draw from that as a result of that relationship. Nothing wrong with it. But it's not worship. It's only worship if we're individuals who are living our lives to back up the songs that we sing. You say, well, I, I play an instrument, I sing, I am honoring God. Are you? There have been a few Christian bands who popped up, and uh, here, here's the deal, folks. I don't know if you know this, and it's, it's still kind of true. Um, it's hard to make it in country music today. Hard to make it in country music. It's hard, harder to make it in pop music, harder to make it in rock and roll music. You know where it's not so hard to make it? Christian music. And there's some reasons for that. Christians aren't typically nearly as critical as people who aren't Christians. I believe that Christians just have more taste than non-Christians. It's easier. And there have been individuals who have entered into Christian music just to get the name. Then when they get the name, they move out of Christian music into country music, pop music, or rock music. There have been groups that I listened to, loved their music, and then one day their cheese slid off its cracker, and they all of a sudden started singing songs that were completely and totally contrary to anything that they said they stood on when they started. Is anybody who sings a Christian song worshiping God? The lives we live have to back up. I don't want to be one of them Southern Baptist preachers who stand up here and get legalistic. So I want you to hear me clearly. 
You are not perfect. It's okay to make mistakes. But never use your imperfection for an excuse to be imperfect. That's the way that it's supposed to be. We know when we live our lives, whether we're living our lives for Christ or we're living our lives for ourselves. A living and holy sacrifice? That's someone who has died to themselves, who have taken up the the cross of Calvary and bear it in the lives that we live. If, If I stand before God and I say, here I am, God, do with me whatever you will and mean it, then what can God do with me? Anything he wants to. So if we truly make ourselves a sacrifice and we say, God, you do anything with me that you want to, and he says, okay, you're going to be a preacher. And then all of a sudden we recluse into ourselves and say, oh, anything but that. Is that a sacrifice? That's not a sacrifice, folks. That's the kind of sacrifice that crawls up on the altar, realizes that the altar burns, and then crawls back off to preserve itself. That's the kind of sacrifice we see blowing up in Christianity all across the world right now. I'm fine carrying out the will of God. As long as he doesn't ask too much. I'm fine letting God do anything that he wants to with me. Except for that. The interesting thing about a sacrifice is it's dead. It has no choice. It has no will. It has no desire. The sacrifice's will has been submitted to the one who has the authority over the sacrifice. What makes this verse so interesting is it actually says, a living and holy sacrifice. Which means metaphorically, in all reality, we die. But as the Apostle Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Not that I live, but Christ lives through me. We're alive, folks, but we are not supposed to be people who are driven by our own fears. We're not supposed to be driven by our own desires. We're not supposed to be driven by our own wants. And people say, well, I've had some lost friends who say, man, that seems like a miserable way to live your life. And I tell them you would actually be really surprised. I'm here to tell you, folks, there is absolutely nothing like knowing in your own relationship with God that you're standing exactly where he wants you. There is absolutely nothing in the world comparable to being obedient to Jesus when he asks us to do something we're supposed to do. I'm convinced of this. You know why Christians are so unhappy? Because they're unfaithful. 
Christians are so unhappy because they're unfaithful. Christians are so unhappy because they're disobedient. How many of you guys growing up, you liked having moms and dads approval? How many of you liked disappointing mom? Folks, this is a scale 100 stories higher than this. If we really have a relationship with God and we live in a life of disobedience and a life of unfaithfulness, how do you expect us to feel? I mean, if it breaks our heart to disappoint mom, what do you think it does to us to disappoint the one who died on the cross for us? We're going to be unhappy people if we aren't people who are allowing God control. I'll be the first one to tell you, the scariest thing in your life that you will ever do is the first time that you let go and truly let God. It doesn't stay scary real long, but it's scary. Anywhere I go, I like to drive. You know why? I trust me way more than I trust anybody else. This is not any different than life. When it comes to life and the choices that we make and the things that we do, I trust me way more than I trust anybody else. And as a Christian, that is not okay. It's not okay. It's a struggle. It will always be a struggle. But it is not okay. Verse 2 gives us a little bit of a kicker here, and this is all I'm going to get to today. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Prove what the will of God is. I would think there was more wrong with someone if when God called them to something, they jumped up and said that they were absolutely capable and had no fears in it. That's wrong. The number of people who have come to me excited and said, hey, I'm going to be a pastor, and I'm like, hey, you know what? And this goes for deacons too. You can run into this headlong just being tickled to death. I mentioned Wayne a couple of times about you know him being a deacon. I've asked you guys to pray for him, and I'm telling you this is a fact. I've seen it a hundred times in 30 years. When someone steps out and says, I'm going to be obedient to God and something he's called me to in my life, the devil don't play. And he will do anything that he can to keep Anybody from accepting the call as a deacon, accept the call as a pastor, accept the call as a teacher, he will go to great lengths to try to tie a person in knots, to try to pressure a person as much as he can, to try to keep them from doing what it is that God wants them to do. Why? Because when someone steps in a role as a teacher, a preacher, a deacon, those individuals are about to prove something that the devil knows is going to go way contrary to anything that he's trying to do. Because when a human being gets to the point that they say, I'm going to move myself out of the way and let God do whatever he wants to, if that person accomplishes that, 
Do you have any idea the amount of good that they're going to accomplish in people's lives? Do you have any idea how much of the battle Satan loses when a person not only hears the call of God in their life, but follows through with it? If you decide to be faithful, you will be marked. I promise. But don't forget why. Satan knows the threat and the damage to hell itself when a person lets go and says, God, here I am. Use me however you will. Jesus Christ came to earth 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross for our sins. What's a hope that every person who's lost in the world may come to know him? Let me ask you a question. What you're doing in life right now. And this isn't something that you need to answer to me about. This is something I want you to answer yourself about. In light of the death, burial, and resurrection, the example that was given, everything that we have seen accomplished through God's will in individuals' lives who are faithful, is this really it? Is this it? Is this all God's called you as an individual to? Is this the most that you can do? Guarantee you, folks, for every one of us who are human beings, the answer to that question is no, this is not the most I can do. Some people are working hard at being faithful. Some people are being diligent about it. But I believe in this world we live in, a large majority of the people who say they're Christians are not. We spend most of our time when God calls us and he know, we know that he's called us. We tell him he's wrong. And we avoid it. And that will not prove the will of God. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ. I'm just asking you to hang out for a little bit after church. Um, we can sit six, six or ten feet apart, whatever makes you comfortable. I'll sit at the front and yell at you to the back. If you've never given your life to Christ, and the Holy Spirit yanks on your heart, heartstrings. Don't leave this place without having a conversation with me. I can't save you, but I can certainly help lead you to the one who can. If you're here today and you're a believer... I just want you to do one thing during this invitation time. Put your attention on Jesus, what he's done for us. Accept all of the joy, the hope, the encouragement, the strength that that has to offer. But also listen for what it is that he would like us to do as a result. Truly worship him. Not just with the song that you sing, but with the brain you think with, with the mouth you speak with, and with the hands and feet you do ministry with. 
because I don't believe we can fathom just how much one faithful, obedient person touches the kingdom of God. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.